It is a pleasure to have on VLGA Connect today for the first time, the Minister for Local Government in Victoria, Adam Somnurek. Welcome, Minister. Thank you, Chris. Welcome. Uh, and uh, Lambros, uh, Councillor Tapinos too. Um, thank you for uh, inviting me on your program. Councillor Tapinos is with us from uh, as the President of the VLGA. Hello, Lambros, and welcome back. Hello, Chris. Hello, Minister. Hello. And Colin Morrison is with us, the Acting Exec Director of Local Government Victoria. Uh, we've known Colin for a long time. Nice to see you, Colin. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for having me as part of the program today. So we have a few topics we'd like to touch on uh, with you, Minister. In particular, it's, it's obviously a very interesting time for local government in Victoria, as it is for everyone else dealing with, uh, with COVID-19. But the big question on everyone's lips, and I wonder whether you're prepared, prepared to give us any insights at this point, is on the timing of the local government elections for later this year. Um, thank you, Chris. Chris, I've been telling the sector for the past month or so now uh, that we're, you know, that we're going to have to wait and see how the situation is going, see how the uh, coronavirus uh, is impacting Victoria. Um, for a while there, things look pretty bad. Uh, the exponential curve, uh, certainly had an exponential curve crisis at one point. I think Victorians have done very well. Um, the Premier has done well. I think we've all collectively done very well and the Prime Minister, to his credit too, has done well. So. Um, at the moment, um, again, uh, things are pretty fluid, but I'll be in a better position to make um, a call on that uh, in two weeks of time. I reckon about 11, 12 of May is probably about the right time to make a call. The, uh, that's the 11th of May is a, a time that's a date that um, both federal government and Victorian government uh, will be reassessing the restrictions. And I think it's only fair that we perhaps come back and um, make a call on whether we go ahead uh, with the elections or not. So it does sound like there's a bit of positivity there in your thinking because things have gone so well in terms of Australia's response to COVID-19 that perhaps we're in a better position in terms of being able to run elections at the end of the year than we might have thought a month ago. Is that fair? Well, I, I, would, I would say that's most definitely the case and thank God for that because things could have been very bad. Um, but again, uh, let's um, you know, wait for advice off the CHO, uh, Chief Health Officer, Professor Sutton, um, the VEC. Um, I'll be guided by some of their advice as well. Um, and so I think it's important for the Chief Health Officer and for the VEC to, be, um, to also be talking to each other. Um, so I'll take you know, all that expert advice on board and uh, make an announcement on the 13th or thereabouts of May. Excellent. Um, it sounds like a very reasonable response. Lambros, I think you'd probably agree that um, it, it's a complex issue and you're probably hearing views on either side of the, uh, the issue as to whether to delay or not around the sector. Yes, it sure is, Chris. Um, there's different views across the sector. Of course, some councillors are concerned about the ability to campaign in the COVID environment. But of course, many other councillors, particularly those who may not be standing in the next election, are concerned about fatigue and having to go again for um, an extended period of time. So there's mixed views in the sector. I guess um, uh, the minister is correct. Um, the best thing to do is wait and see what the advice would be from 
the Chief um, Health Officer and also advice from the Victorian Electoral Commission. Terrific. Thank you, Minister. The, uh, the next, uh, I guess, hot topic in, around local government is uh, the ability to conduct council meetings in a virtual environment, and you've paved the way for that to happen, and I note you've released... Uh, guidelines on that this week as well. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight into your thinking around uh, how you reached that that decision and the way in which you went about it? Well, in terms of um, having online meetings, I think there were three things that were really um, um, that the sector was concerned about. One was elections, two was the budget, three was online meetings. We dealt with the budget issue pretty quickly. We deferred, you know, we've given a blanket deferral uh, to the sector. The second uh, concern about online, uh, you know, having the ability to meet, uh, you know, via video conference uh, was something that I was really anxious that we get through. Um, you know, governments, uh, uh, when we sit around the cabinet table, there are many people, every minister has, uh, has a pressing issue. Um, but I was, thank, I was grateful to my colleagues that they... Um, they thought that this was a top priority uh, because no doubt it is a top priority. Uh, I think it's unacceptable for councils to be um, not having the opportunity to, well, to be uh, meeting face-to-face uh, when uh, they should be, you know, social di- socially distancing. I would have felt really bad if any councillor or member of staff uh, during a council meeting uh, was sort of uh, infected with uh, coronavirus. So I'm really grateful that my colleagues and the Premier has supported me on that. Um, and I know the council, uh, I know the sector's pretty happy with that. Now, in terms of the, um, the uh, in terms of the guidelines, I was very uh, adamant with the sector, the peaks, uh, in particular that they uh, make sure that they're ready um, for, uh, for guidelines uh, so that we don't have potential legal challenges uh, once we go to virtual meetings. And I think the sector uh, did well, uh, came back with Local Government Victoria, came back on some guiding um, principles on how to run meetings online and handle technical issues and hold confidential discussions. Now, those dis- those uh, guidelines are, in fact, uh, online now and available uh, to, um, to your viewers. Thanks, Minister. We conducted an online session this week with about 80 people from across local government, and this was the main topic of discussion. I guess um, generally there's uh, gratitude that this option is now there and attention is focusing now on on the detail of implementation, I guess. And this is might, might be where we bring Colin into the conversation. Colin, if I can put to you one of the questions that was raised, uh, it, it's, uh, it's the challenge of balancing Section 223 requirements against the, the virtual ability, Section 394, I think it is. Um, have you got any advice for how councils approach that issue, particularly as we're in the middle of budget submission time? Yeah, thanks, thanks Chris. And this is a, a very new space, not only for, for local government Victoria, but for the, for the sector as a whole, obviously. Um, and as the Minister said, we do appreciate the, uh, the input that the sector, including through the BLGA, have had into the development of those guidelines. Um, as the Minister said, the guidelines are now available um, and are published on the local government Victoria website. There is reference there to, uh, to Section 394. Um, and my understanding is that Section 394 does, does hold sway over, uh, over the 223 arrangements in mm. Instance. The other one that uh, I think is challenging uh, potentially some councils, and you or the minister might have a view on this, and that is where uh, councils might find themselves in a position of needing to or wanting to run a hybrid approach 
with you know some some in the chamber, some in a virtual environment. I often say go back to the intent or the spirit of the legislation when you're looking at these sorts of challenges. But what advice would you provide in that? Uh, my advice is. Um you know, let, let's, for the moment, let's not, you know, the numbers are low, but let's not take a risk at the moment is my advice. Uh, social distance, stay at home. Um, uh, yes, you're probably not, well, you're not breaching the rule by doing that. But um, I just don't see any need to take a risk at the moment. That's my view. Stay at home. And so social distancing is my view for the moment until the Chief Health Officer says otherwise. Lambros, if I could bring you uh, back into the conversation, are you hearing much about that as an issue in your uh, discussions around the sector at the moment? Yeah, look, um, mayors are really relieved to, to be able to conduct a meeting online. Uh, they were concerned about being able to reach and maintain a quorum. So this is really helpful. Um, it is, at the end of the day, a, a health initiative and a safety initiative for both councillors, officers and members of the public who would have attended um, council meetings. So um, I guess the whole sector is really pleased that this has been able to go through the parliaments um, and become reality for this period of the covert emergency. Of course, um, the guidelines are very helpful. There are some minor questions about what happens if the technology fails and some other issues, but they're very detailed in the guidelines now. So. The sector is looking forward to getting on with continuing the council business online and virtually and uh, we're looking forward to it at Moreland in particular and we know that uh, we've been promoting it to our community and they're going to tune in over the live stream. Indeed, and I think there is one council and I, I can't recall exactly which one it is that is going to hold a virtual council meeting on Friday the 1st of May, so the first day that it's possible uh, to do that. Minister, can I move on to a, a more general issue around the, the sector's uh, response to COVID-19 and the various initiatives that we're seeing around the state, some, some terrific innovation, I think, in, uh, in many respects. What's your observation on how the sector's responded to this crisis? Look, I've been, um, I think, innovation in a time of crisis. Uh, history shows that, um, that a lot of good innovation is made during uh, times of crisis. So crisis is certainly a driver of innovation. And I'm, I'm happy to see that councils are stepping up to the plate and uh, being more innovative. And um, I think they've, you know, I think there's a lot of goodwill there. I think people, they've, you know, they've understood uh, that this is, um, there's no use looking up towards, you know, uh, higher levels of government that they really need to be self-sufficient and, and um, you know, make sacrifices on their own. So let's not forget the federal government's made uh, a massive sacrifice of about 10 to 15% of their GDP. Um, survival packages, the state government has done the same thing. And so I'm happy to see that the state, the councils are uh, getting into the spirit of that, uh, starting to uh, really um, look for solutions internally. Councils are big, sophisticated organisations with, uh, with really smart people. So um, good to see that they're using that um, talent. Are there any areas of concern for you, any areas of focus that you uh, perhaps think needs to be given more attention by the sector at the moment in terms of its COVID-19 response? Look, uh, we wrote to the sector pretty early on in the piece, asking for them to make sure that they do an audit on their pandemic plans, 
they came back uh, positive. Uh, we've been pretty happy with the response of councils. Um, again, uh, our major thing is for the councils to understand, and they do, uh, they do get this, uh, that we are living in extraordinary circumstances and uh, to be self-sufficient, uh, relying on the uh, capabilities that you have, um, not to necessarily uh, try to balance their books, um, not to sack staff, but deliver uh, services uh, as you go as well. And investing in infrastructure is also uh, very important at the moment. We do need to start thinking about recovery and stimulating the economy as well. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe we can work with uh, the state. The state government's made it clear that uh, infrastructure, uh, further infrastructure investment is the way we intend to stimulate the economy. And I'm sure there might be some partnerships there with uh, local government as, uh, as well. And I'm sure those conversations will be happening, if not already, very, very, very soon. Just on the point you, you mentioned there about uh, staffing issues, I know you took the step as a government of asking councils not to, as a first response, stand down staff. And we've heard some stories on this program of councils being, I think, really innovative in redeploying people across their, uh, across their operations. Some councils are going to be looking the, the, the most spick and span they have for a long time because of the, uh, the way they've redeployed people. Is that the sort of response you were looking for? Absolutely. That, that is exactly the type of response that we are looking for. Now, we did also invite councils to partner with the state government uh, with respect to the $500 million working for Victoria funds. And again, um, the councils have, you know, uh, been very good in uh, taking, you know, being part of this uh, partner with, with the Victorian government on this initiative too. So we uh, thank and commend the councils for that. I'm also interested in uh, council's view on concessional loans. Um, let's not forget the council sector, the uh, local government sector is a very lowly geared sector. So they're very financially responsible. Uh, they don't like, they're very sort of risk averse in terms of borrowing. Um, and I think the Auditor General has made this comment previously in a report, I think it was last August. So, um, you know, maybe there should be, council should be doing some more borrowing for infrastructure spending, et cetera, or perhaps even um, maybe looking to deploy some of their capital budgets um, uh, and then sort of, uh, to, to, to operational matters. Um, I think the main thing is not to leave uh, their constituents, their ratepayers, uh, destitute the ones that are having a difficult time paying their rates, for example. I think um, they really do need to have a good look at uh, how much money they do have on hand. Um, after all, as I said, the state government and the federal government have really um, you know, moved away from trying to balance the budget for the moment uh, on the um, you know, for the sake of making sure that uh, Victorians and Australians uh, are not left, um, you know, destitute in a difficult position. Mm. But all in all, um, I think the council sector, local government sector, has been pretty responsible. So that, that issue of the conservative approach to borrowing came up in a session we did last week around the economic impacts on local government. We, we also touched on, this might be one for you, Colin, we, we touched on, you know, how not all councils are the same. Some of those smaller rural councils in particular are going to be far more challenged uh, to, to respond to the economic impacts of this crisis. Um, how do you see the sector being able to support those sorts of councils in particular? 
Look, Chris, I agree with you. Um, if I can just take that, Colin, I, I agree. Sure. Uh, one of the very first things I did when I um, you know, assumed the responsibility of being Minister for Local Government is I read a couple of reports. Uh, one report was the um, Joint Parliamentary uh, uh, Committee's investigation into the sustainability and uh, operational challenges of rural and regional councils. And uh, I also read a... Um, on a, um, a Auditor General's report on this issue too, and that dealt pretty much with the sustainability uh, challenges of small rural councils. So one of the, my first priority was to go out and visit those councils, uh, which I have done. I've visited all the rural councils. And um, I understand intimately their problems. You know, they've got um, population decrease, therefore reduction in uh, source revenue, uh, therefore, uh, you know, um, at the same time, they've got fixed costs. Um, they've got market failure. Therefore, council needs to fill in um, private enterprise and, and do carry out services which council shouldn't be doing because uh, it's not profitable for private enterprise to do. Certainly, the metro councils wouldn't be performing some of the services that I've seen councils perform in those areas. Um, I've been pushing very hard within government, um, advocating with my colleagues, the Premier, the Treasurer, um, for support uh, for these small councils. So I do put a caveat when I say that councils need to step up to the mark and you know make some sacrifices. Uh, I understand there's not much room for manoeuvre there for those small councils. So that's the caveat I would put on my previous comments. Colin, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, look, th thanks, Chris. Um, it's certainly worth noting that, uh, that in the last few years there have been significant changes made to some of the funding programs to make um, grant programs in particular more accessible to, to rural councils and in particular to small rural councils as well um, by way of uh, giving them different ratios in terms of matching contributions. Um, and also it's probably worth noting from a uh, Victoria Grants Commission perspective as well, uh, many councils would be aware that there were significant changes made to the uh, formula used to allocate the Commonwealth funding for councils uh, last year, which resulted in some fairly significant um, increases to funding for small rural councils. So it's something that's mm. constantly um, sort of uppermost in our minds. So one being raised with you around the state, uh, Lambros, with your, uh, your discussions with members of the VLGA? Yes, it differs across the state. Of course, um, councillors and mayors are very busy at the moment adapting their services in the COVID environment and in many cases running new services so there is um, a lot of organisational financial pressures. Um, of course, for many um, councils, they are the biggest employer within their municipality. So maintaining jobs, council jobs is really important to them. So a lot of councils are taking a hit at the moment and they're working out how they're going to budget forward in the future, as well as preparing for the recovery phase and stimulating their economy um, into the future. And, and that is, of course, planning for big capital works projects. Um, and that is um, going to be an area that government can assist. And, uh, and things like those low interest loans will be really valuable for the big projects like uh, refurbishing swimming pools and new libraries and new roads and so forth. So um, mm. we're looking forward to partnering with um, uh, government to make sure we can put these projects on the agenda and get them happening. 
Last one, perhaps, Minister, because I know you have a busy schedule, even though we're in a virtual world these days. We have uh, back-to-back virtual commitments. Uh, the, the new Local Government Act, long time coming. Uh, people are pleased, obviously, that it's here now, and we have some certainty about what that means for the sector. Um, would you like to make any comments about the early uh, implementation stages of the Act now that it's with us? Oh, look, thanks, Chris. The uh, implementation of the uh, Local Government Act's um, will occur over you know, several different stages. Um, I'm happy to say that the provisions of the Local uh, Government Act 2020 um, relating to council uh, structures and uh, council lectures are now in operation. Uh, on, I think it was 22 April, Colin, is that right? Uh, right. I announced the, yeah, I think it was 22 April, I announced the eight metropolitan councils that will adopt uh, single member ward structures uh, ahead of the general elections. And um, I've also uh, accepted the VC's recommendation uh, that Swan Hill and uh, Mansfield Shire Council uh, move to unsubdivided structures, uh, as that, that is compliance uh, with the Act. Now, in terms of all other councils, they'll retain uh, their current structures. They will uh, be reviewed by the new formed electoral representation advisory panel uh, following the general election. And uh, as I committed to in the parliament uh, during the course of the bill and the 25 hours or so of uh, the committee stage of the bill, uh, that the 38 rural councils uh, have been listed in the Government Gazette as being eligible for either single member wards, uniform member, multi-member wards, or uh, subdivided uh, wards. Now, um, on my one, the uh, new provisions relating to council procedures and, uh, pr and uh, proceedings uh, come into effect. Uh, LGV has established an engaged VIC site to seek input from the sector in the development of regulations and guidance materials uh, to support the, um, the implementation. And right now, uh, through the site, they are consulting on mandatory candidate training uh, council expense policies, uh, audit and risk committee uh, requirements. Um, so I would encourage, uh, Chris, anyone, uh, your, your viewers, uh, to, um, to sort of engage um, with this process. I've seen the site and there is there is some early engagement happening, which is is terrific. Um, on the mandatory candidate training, that's something people are looking very closely at to see what the requirements are going to be for rolling that out. I think there was, there's still a belief that it's going to need to be face-to-face. -face. I guess we've got to wait and see what happens with our COVID-19 restrictions. Colin, do you care to comment on... Um, how that is going to look and whether there's going to be any um, flexibility in terms of the way it's delivered? We've, uh, we've certainly been discussing that uh, a lot with our project control board that's, uh, that's overseeing the, uh, the implementation phase of the, of the Act. Um, that's certainly one of the topics that, uh, that has come up. Um, it's certainly the intention um, that uh, the candidate training remain face-to-face, -face, but obviously dependent on uh, the Minister's dis decision uh, to be taken in relation to the timing of the, uh, the elections this year. Okay, so uh, we are out of time. Thank you for that. Minister, any final comments while we have you on this special edition of ELGA Connect? Uh, look, I think, uh, again, I commend the sector for uh, the sector in a way is at the coal face of this. Um, I commend the sector uh, for their good work 
uh, all councillors, councillors, mayors, CEOs, officers. Um, I think all Victoria has done a good job in making sure that the rates are under control. And, um, you know, we've, whilst things are looking very good, um, pretty sort of sanguine about the future, um, we still need to be vigilant. And um, I'll, I say is stay safe uh, and uh, we'll make a decision on the uh, future of the elections in, in, in a couple of weeks. Can I extend an open invitation once you're ready to talk about that uh, to come back and, and ch chat with us on VLGA Connect? Absolutely. Colin Morrison, Acting Executive Director of LGV, thank you for your time. Great to thank see you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. And, and Lambros Tepanos, the President of the VLGA, always good to speak with you, Lambros. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me.